content warning. This podcast contains coarse language and cheeky themes. So if you've got kids in the car, colleagues in the office, or a nonna in the kitchen, chuck some headphones in. Who the bloody hell are we? Conversations about immigration and culture in Australia with your hosts, Mel and Sonia. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Who the Bloody Hell Are We? My name is Sonia Diorio, and joining me is my co-host, Melissa Viola. Hello. Hello. How you doing, Sonia? Good. How are you? Oh, doing okay in this crazy COVID world. Got tested today. Dun, okay. Dun. Yeah. And um, when are you going to get the results? Uh, in the next couple of days, I'm going to get a cheeky text because it's just a sore throat. It was more just like, you know, being a good girl dealing with it, but I don't actually think I have corona. Oh, um, but I nearly passed out when good. they shoved that thing up my nose. And I have oh like tattoos gosh. and stuff. I think I've got a good pain threshold. But, yeah, um, I've heard it's pretty um, – that's the uh, very unpleasant part. It's um, so also, bizarre. when was the last time I saw you? Oh, yeah, now right. I'm worried. <laughs> um, I mean, it's yeah, okay. We fine. haven't been in studio <laughs> together. No, I'm glad no. we've been doing this separately from our houses. I didn't, haven't been able to lick your face like I usually do, you know. <laughs> um, wait for the vaccine before you begin that. Yeah. Um, Are you excited about today? Yes, I am. We have another great guest. Joining us today is Annie Louie. She's a comedian and radio host who can be heard on Joy 94.9's Annie and Ando. And as a regular guest on ABC Breakfast with Sammy J. Hi, Annie. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. We have good. done many gigs together in the past. That's how we yeah. know each other through comedy. Seems but, like a um, lifetime ago now. It does. Have not been um, with you in a room in the flesh for quite some time. Yeah. Oh, I miss drinking. What What kind of comedy <laughs> festival could it have been this year? I'll never know. Yeah. Oh. I'm, it's so nice to have you. Um, you grow up uh, Chinese-Australian, which you've spoken about in your stand-up. I have an unusual background, I suppose, right? Chinese-Australian. Uh, I'm in a unique position where I've seen my mum eat a meat pie with chopsticks. What sort of cultural aspects do you remember about growing up in terms of food, music, etc.? When I was... A kid, I didn't speak English as my first language is what my mm. parents told me. So I haven't got any memory of that, but it's true because they both didn't speak English properly. They yep. still, uh, like my dad's passed away now, but my mum's been learning English for years and years and years and it's never really worked out. So mm. being a kid, I remember having these memories of people talking to my mum really slowly or trying mm. to dumb things down for her and at the time I remember thinking that's so embarrassing my parents are so embarrassing and now I've grown up and thought actually those people weren't helping in fact some of them were being quite racist so I think it's taken a while for me to stop being ashamed of my parents and their accents and upbringing because they they're very smart in other ways Uh, they never finished school so it was very they taught us a lot of life lessons that didn't come from having to finish high school. So yeah, as a kid, it was a lot of, I spent a lot of time with my mum while my dad was working. So it's quite a traditional family structure. And it's only since uh, in recent years that my mum's gotten a job and started working and finding independence for herself. And I would yeah. say, yeah, even though my family first came to Australia during the gold rush, that was my great granddad. Um, mm. they, they went back and forth from 
uh, China to Australia and my dad came here to help set up a farm in Coleraine after they were done yep. with uh, their gold rush digging and he <laughs> yeah helped them set up a, a milk bar and he worked there. So uh, even though they've been here for a long time on my dad's side, they never fully assimilated, I don't think, in terms of language and food because they retained so much of their culture through uh, staying in touch with their families. My mum was 19 when she came here and um, she couldn't speak English, but she learnt how to drive because um, they could take the test in Italian. So oh. she didn't know how to speak English, but she'd still learn how to drive. And it's kind of like, I understand what you're saying when people dumb things down and would have slowed things down for your parents and then in their minds thinking these people aren't capable or they're not intelligent because they can't speak English when it's mm. like, no, we can learn how to drive. We can cook amazing food. We can do this. We can do that. We can work. But it's just that we can't speak English. Yeah. Or that my dad's version of English, because he was in a country town, he picked up a lot of like very Aussie mannerisms thrown oh, in there. So he, even though his English know. wasn't great, he would also be like in it and like young fella. <laughs> stuff like that. So, yeah, like he could definitely do business in it. And I feel sometimes as a teenager, we thought we were, me and my sister, who's six years younger, thought we were having secret conversations in English. But I think he understood a lot more than we thought he did. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, I think that um, like uncomprehending things, understanding like a language, that's the first step. Whereas mm. actually being able to fluently speak it, that's way down the line. It's like first you can understand mm. things and um, it, it takes a long time to be able to, yeah, speak it fluently. I need to ask you, so your dad's grandfather or on his side yes. they came back well, it came to Australia during the gold rush, which is yeah. incredible um, to be part of such a huge cultural movement in Australia. Um, but there was, you know, a constant movement and mm. um, I guess not a huge amount of assimilation until maybe your generation or, and your father's yeah. generation. Um, so on your mum's side, how did your parents meet and how did your mum come to Australia? Yeah, they had an arranged marriage. And wow. they say the story goes that my Dad's mum was the village matchmaker. So she'd receive photos of people and she would match wow. them together. So she, I don't know, got a vibe from me. Your mum was the hottest. <laughs> so yeah, she, she, it came through. And then my grandma was like, I'm keeping this one for my own son. So she just swiped yes. it, you know, pocketed it or whatever. So then uh, they got introduced and wrote each other love letters for ages oh, and wow. didn't really know what they looked like or what they sounded like other than seeing their picture and having all these. Um, notes written. And then after maybe a year, uh, my dad went to China to meet. And then after that, there was one more meeting and it was the wedding. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So then she came over with him and like a year later I was born. Um, but yeah, before that, my because my dad was much older for a dad. He was 64 when I was born. So he actually had two other wives before my mum and then mm. I think he was he was pretty done after that he was like okay <laughs> let's find the one wow <laughs> that's incredible so your grandmother was the village matchmaker what a role what a fun life yeah what a fun life like I think she was illiterate but you know <laughs> <laughs> oh it's a, it's interesting that that's um she could get a vibe from the photos yeah and they were always successful I guess because divorce oh, was really? a thing you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um did did she match other people not just her like yeah. immediate family 
Yeah, How? yeah. So anyone, because I guess uh, the areas, the villages are pretty small, so everyone knows each other. So they probably, mm. yeah, would all come around and bring their photos and things. Um, yeah, even now, my mum's side of the family, they still live in a very small city that's, uh, I mean, they say small, but small for China is one million people. <laughs> so it's a little country town kind of thing called Taishan. So in, in uh, that city are some other like precincts around there that are very rural so it's four hours drive from Guangzhou and yeah I pretty much know everyone who speaks the dialect in Melbourne like everyone yeah. my age anyway yeah. um so yeah. Thai Chinese is the language but it almost sounds made up yeah yeah <laughs> do you have any idea about how your grandmother came to be the village matchmaker Oh, I wish I knew more. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think maybe at a certain age, you know, you just become really wise. And so they're like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think anyone with like an international connection was probably quite lucrative at the time as well. So, mm. yeah, maybe she had a few because I've got uh, family in the US as well. So a uh, few of on my dad's side, they've migrated to San Francisco and uh, other areas in California. So, um, yeah, maybe she was hot property given that you know you could send <laughs> send some of your relatives overseas <laughs> well the administration on a, on a job like that you know keeping tabs on all these people in all these different countries let alone the people in your town that's pretty intense yeah. <laughs> um do you have any siblings yeah i've got a younger sister who is six years younger and her name is anna so we're annie and anna and i have to had a joke about it people ask me is that for reals and it is because in chinese culture sometimes siblings have similar names or they share a character so in chinese uh, my name is ya wen and her name is ya yi and my name is like graceful i don't remember what hers means but <laughs> they tried to replicate that in english and it didn't really work out so we basically have the same name and it was embarrassing for us and I resented my parents for having done that because I think I wanted to name her Sabrina after the Teenage Witch ah. and my dad <laughs> disagreed and went rogue and did his own thing. That's so cute. <laughs> um, and I tried to convince her to change her name during high school and she put the name Elise in there so she could be like Annalise. But then after high school she was like, I don't like it, I'm going back. And she was like, I'm more of an Anna anyway and I... I think it's a nice name, so we're just going to stick with it. So, yeah, because we've both got our own identities, we're not changing. It's We've gone too far now and hopefully we become like the laws, uh, infamous perhaps, and she's also very creative. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm waiting to see what projects we can collaborate on, but she's more of a serious theatre actor and she speaks fluent Chinese, whereas I gave up as a kid. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so sweet That's though, crazy. Annie and Anna. Mm. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah. So you learned English then in primary school or in kinder? Yeah, well, yeah, I think it was around then. My mum says I watched a lot of TV and picked it up through there. And then being forced yeah. to go to kinder and chat to other kids, you have to learn pretty quickly, otherwise become an outcast. So, yeah, um, I don't remember things like learning English or how to learn to use chopsticks. Like I, I don't have a recollection, but at some point mm -hmm. I would have been taught. Um, and there wasn't a lot of multiculturalism at my primary school. Um, in terms of Asian kids, there was uh, a lot of Lebanese and Turkish. Um, and I remember school lunches were definitely, mine were different. Probably me yeah. and the Indian kid were the only ones to get hot lunch. 
Um, yeah. So that was, yeah. And I always felt embarrassed about that because, yeah, it was always, you know, smellier and more of a hassle because you've got all these lids and utensils and things like that. And <laughs> you just wanted to be, yeah, eating a sandwich or something. But now, like, I would kill for a hot lunch, like trying to yeah, live absolutely. outside of home and I'm eating toast. Going, yeah. Yeah. I miss my mum's cooking. Well, how about That's, at your high school? Were there many um, other Chinese students? I started off year seven at a school that was similar to my primary school. So not a lot mm-hmm. of Asian kids, mm-hmm. Turkish and Lebanese and Australian, white Australians. But then uh, I changed schools in year nine and went to McGrob, which is a selective school and uh, often gets to be the top school in the state and it's all Asian kids basically so if you were white Australian you were different so it was a huge change and um yeah I guess I was different for other things like I enjoyed drama and the arts whereas it's predominantly maths and science and very competitive so it was basically uh like a melting pot of all these parents hopes and dreams of immigrants really that's what it was built on because they often were the ones suggesting to their kids or pushing them to take the test and my parents never pushed me they didn't know anything about which schools were good basically they let me make my own choices about things like extracurricular activities they had they had no idea that that was an option so like I asked them to if I could play piano and violin. And I actually asked if I could go to Chinese school, which a lot of kids mm. were forced to do. So I yep. somehow <laughs> gravitated to the stereotypical Asian hobbies, I guess, maybe because my friends were also interested in, in them and I wanted to just fit in. Um, but I never felt any pressure for any of those things. Even going to a selective school, they had no idea that it existed and they didn't say you have to take the test. I was like, oh, I'll give it a go. So then, right. yeah, uh, they've always given me that agency. What an overachiever. Yeah. What yeah. was I doing in year nine? Just fucking around. And you're like, I think I'll go to McGraw. It's <laughs> <laughs> <so> impressive. <laughs> so you said that you, um, yeah, you wanted to go to Chinese school. I feel like um, a lot of people we've spoken to at some point throughout their life, it may not be when they're in primary school or in high school, it might be a bit later, but um, even if it hasn't happened, they they do feel like a there is a point where they feel like a pull to their roots and their cultural heritage. Um, I've definitely felt that in the past few years and some other people we've spoken to as well. It gets to a point where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to explore this more or I want to be a bit more connected. Um, mm. I think yeah. primary school was too young for me to really realise it. I was yep. doing it because my friends were going and they had Maccas for lunch every week. So I yeah. kind of wanted in on that. Uh, <laughs> yes. And have you visited your parents' uh, hometown? Yeah, I've been back um, three times and we were meant to go back this year in September. My mum was still really keen on going, even as things were like the borders were shutting. She was so optimistic and I'm like, mum, it's really not going to happen. And I didn't feel safe if we were, if it was allowed, you know, even if we could travel, I don't think I wanted to go anymore. But um, yeah, it was tough because China's getting such a bad rap in the media and I was actually really looking forward, yeah, to going and visiting my family and they asked me on ABC, one of the call-outs one week that I was meant to ring in was, uh, which country are you travelling to in your mind? Like, you know, if you could travel anywhere, what holiday destination are you um, taking? And 
I, I was torn because I wanted to say, like, in all honesty, I wish I was seeing my family in China. But mm. every news report from that morning was about China's government hiding the truth about COVID. So I was like, when they put me on, I was like, ah, Slovenia, great country. (laughs) Like, you know, I wish I was growing tomatoes there. I just didn't want to offend anybody, I guess. That's a bit sad that you had to kind of censor yourself in that way. Yeah, it was a choice then because like either I can choose to, I suppose, like put some human touch into being Chinese, like fight what the media is portraying. But I don't know, I'm not equipped to deal with any backlash yet I'm so still like like, early in my career yeah you know that's an emotional expense on your end and it's like Mm. you know no decision is right or wrong you know like Mm. that's your choice and it is a really hostile environment in Australia now towards Chinese people for the you know what they see is the um the actions of the Chinese government, mm. which has nothing to do with Chinese people <laughs> in general. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, let's be honest, there's been this um, hostile... Uh, Chinese people have felt this through the uh, the entire time that they've immigrated here. Like, it's not a new thing. It just mm. seems as though it's given people ammunition and, um, Yeah, you know, absolutely. And Mel, you were saying about having to travel back and forth uh, from Australia to China and that's because they didn't mm. let women come. They didn't want them to stay and have families. So even, ah. yeah, just having a family here was illegal essentially. So everything, oh. you know, that was built, yeah. you know, everything that's come out of that has essentially been from Australia initially saying we don't want you here. Yeah, I mean the immigration policy, I think it was like as early as like the 1850s, they purposefully restricted Chinese immigration, yeah, to stop them being here. And it wasn't um, until the work of, you know, many activists and protests, et cetera, that finally um, rolled back this policy. Yeah. And I was shocked when I was reading back in the history of it and even as late as the 80s that this was still happening. And my dad yeah. always spoke really highly about Malcolm Fraser and um, yep. he was, yep. you know, he knew him that he has connections to Coleraine where my dad um, had the farm and the milk bar. So he was saying a lot of his relatives and other family members said that he wrote letters and now they're in museums like to allow their wives to come over and to reconnect all these families. Wow. Um, essentially it was a uh trying to stop non-European immigration. Every migrant group has had this struggle here in Australia and it just depends on the year. Um, going further and back, you'll just find out about every single group and mm. um, their struggle. And, for example, we're both children of immigrants, you and I, but because I'm a white person, it's a privilege that people... Uh, I I won't experience racism at all, but we're exactly the same in how we came to be in this country and how Mm. our parents, how our families came here and, you know, who is more Australian than the other. You know, we were both Mm. born here. Both of our parents are immigrants. Well, the crazy thing is that over time different people pass and over time you have immigrants who 
themselves were discriminate, discriminated against now discriminating and that is bizarre yeah because you know yeah. for a long time Mediterranean people weren't considered white you know and that's mm. you know we now pass as white people but yeah. our grandparents and generations of Mediterranean people and people from all different parts of Europe were discriminated against for being different when they when they came here and then you hear these very same people say crazy things about the new wave of immigrants that are coming through and you're just like where is your empathy do you not recall all of the jobs that you lost all of the years that you had to struggle, all of all of the the difficulties that come with being a new person in a country, and mm. then they're just happy to slog off the next, the yeah. you know the next people, you know the next groups of people who are coming over trying to make a better life, just like they did. It's it's bizarre to me. Well, that makes me think about um, when there was a member for the Liberal Party, and she was Chinese in the eastern suburbs, and mm. also pushing the same agenda of you know, no immigrants. Um, but I think also it's based on some misconceptions that if you work really hard, then you can succeed and that makes you different to those people uh, who are, you know, stealing jobs yeah. and all that. And, yeah, yeah I think the especially for the Chinese community, they, they're strong believers in hard work. So they probably think that they have maybe earned their place um, and that they can see themselves as like fully Australian, but we're all fighting in the same fight. Um, because uh, to a, a white person, one of these racist white people, like they will see us all as in the same category. So there's no point dividing us up like that. Yeah, it's um, it's just so hard to um, it's hard to understand that anyone who has immigrated here would then be against immigration of another group, but it is seeing themselves as other and essentially better. And um, our politicians and our leaders and um, the way that this country was, you know, stolen and, you know, the violence that's been perpetrated for years and years lets that happen and lets that mm. continue to happen and that ideology, yeah, keep happening. So you were talking about when you were at McRobb having already at a young age an urge to be quite creative and artistic um, and, you know, following endeavours in theatre and drama. Uh, how did your parents feel about that? I mean, you're going to this really uh, prestigious school. I mean, I don't know much about McRobb except that it's, you know, quite academically, um, you know, they've got high achievers and it's very much about, I'm assuming, like maths and science is kind of my understanding. What was it like you going to that school and then finding out that you're actually really keen on drama and creativity um, and how did your parents respond to that? I think I've been conditioning them for years that I'm not that into maths and science. Um, going from being a really high achieving, probably mathematically inclined kid in primary school, but then switching and realising I was falling behind in those subjects compared to other people. So I started getting really involved in drama and asking them if I could take classes outside of school. And by the end of, I think, year 11, I was still doing maths, but my friends, Sharon and Patricia, were dragging my like limp body across the line. I was getting like D's. <laughs> so I went to a, a, the um, course coordinator and told, asked them for some help picking my subjects and whether I should do, my choices were further maths or do a second English subject. And they said, what do you want to do when you finish? And I was like, um, 
I guess I want to do journalism. And they said, okay, well, you're better off not doing any maths, just do another English. So that's what I did. But it was thanks to going to a comedy festival panel, a Jeez Louise one, where they had all these, it was all women in comedy and they were chatting about how they got where they were and what things they studied. And like Kate Langbrook was on the panel and Jennifer Wong and a few others. I can't remember, but they all said they had journalism degrees. So from that, I was like, cool, I guess that's what I'll do because you can't really get a degree in comedy. So. Uh, that's so cute. <laughs> but you did class clowns, right? Is, some, is that a high school competition? Yeah, so it's run by the International Comedy Festival, uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and uh, you can enter if you're in high school and then there's the raw competition for adults. So mm. I entered the class clowns one when I was 16 and it was from going to the grand final the year before Neil Kolhatka won and mm. I thought, oh, I could do that. <laughs> Not to be cocky, but I was like, oh, this is like, this seems really fun. And uh, now they've got a whole course built in and they take it around to schools. But back then it was just me signing up as an individual. They didn't have any classes. Uh, so I just saw what they were doing. I went to Blockbuster, borrowed every stand-up DVD they had. <laughs> I watched everything on the shelf and started brainstorming my own material. And it was a really good outlet for the frustrations that I had around having pretty uh, strict well, strict parents. Or well, I felt that they were quite strict because my dad was a lot older than me. So he had a lot of traditional values yeah. along with, yeah, my mum. But compared to um, other parents, they're pretty chill because they didn't force me to pursue any particular path for a career um mm. yeah but it was more that yeah the frustration of yeah things like food and things I was made um fun of or feeling like an outsider or my parents embarrassing me that was like my go-to outlet and then it's grown from that now like I started off doing impersonations of my parents or accents but now it's yeah I've got to change with the times and I reflect <laughs> back and go oh that's so cringy now and I've written smarter material that is yeah I think more speaks to the millennials who are first gen or second gen Australians so you said that you got all these DVDs who are you watching who are you taking inspo from because you're obviously writing about your own experiences and you're getting a lot from your parents but who were you watching to kind of get that like that tone and that rhythm yeah I think there was a lot of Aussie stand-ups available. I remember like Adam Hills and yeah, Carl Barron and Will Anderson. Mm. Um, Yeah, basically anyone who's had a special in the 90s and early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting because it's like, you know, they would have been great specials, et cetera, but like very different from what you would have been talking about. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, no Asian females. In fact, we haven't had any groundbreaking ones until Ali Wong. So that really blew my mind mm. watching mm. it now. She's and a queen. Yeah, I need to read her book as well. Um, yeah, I just, I think it was incredible. That I, I thought that I would be part of one of the first people or maybe Asian faces to break in Australian media. That was a goal of mine, like as a teenager, but it's so hard. It hasn't like hit me till I have tried you know that things haven't progressed as fast as I thought they would even I'm like yeah I mean we do have such a huge Asian population in this country but the representation in performance and media is so low Mm. 
We don't. Yeah, often people see see people on our screens or even throughout um, TV, film and theatre. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Just let that thing in. It's true. And uh, I think one of my biggest idols is Ronnie Chang and how his trajectory has grown and him bringing a TV show called International Student and yeah. it's something that's even less represented in the media, I think, is is awesome. We have such different onstage personas, but I think we're both trying to break the stereotypes in similar ways because he's, an, he's quite angry. He's an angry Asian. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm pretty loud on stage and swear and have an extroverted stage presence. So... Yeah, a lot of people, like my mum says, like, I swear too much on stage. That's all she hears really? when she hears me performing is yeah. just the swearing. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's uh, definitely something that you wouldn't see, I think, uh, your typical Asian woman doing. Uh, but I think even if I have a shit gig, I hope other people get inspired by it. Like another Asian woman will see me and go, oh, I want to give that a show, a go. So that's what... Um, kind of motivates me just to stay in the game and represent even if I'm not good at it, uh, which now I think I'm good. But, you know, (laughs) when I was starting out and going, you know, I I didn't want to – I went in and out of comedy because it was so Mm. male-centric. So I was dipping in and out and not enjoying the experience until I I set a goal and I said I'd I'd do 50 gigs in a year and even if it was hard or I hated it, I would just do it and then assess it after that. And I thought, oh, okay, that's the missing link. I needed to gig more and just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, so you've performed a few shows at various festivals around Australia. Um, you've done the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and they had the Chinese Museum as a venue. Uh, I'm not sure what year it started. It became a festival managed venue. But I know that you have performed a show there. Mm. And what was that like just you know, you're going into comedy, trying to break into it, performing at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and then on top of that, getting to perform in this, like, very culturally significant mm. you? Yeah. I remember going there as a kid. That place gave me the creeps. Mm. Really? It used, yeah. so, it used to be so <laughs> run down, and there would be a spiral ramp down into the yeah. basement where they'd I have the dragon and stuff and there would be these like decrepit like dioramas and of the gold fields and stuff and mm-hmm. it was yeah not the best place but since they renovated it it's amazing and yeah. I'm like super proud of of what they've done there and I'm going there and having a good time um but I haven't actually browsed all of the exhibits so when I was doing my show there I had audience members come up to me and be like did you know they've got a whole level and it's full of information about the Louis family I'm like no <laughs> and they're like oh we thought you must have known and I'm like no but then I'm like I'm not paying entry to come back here like I'll just perform (laughs) so I was yeah I was waiting to like till this year because I was meant to be back in the same venue and I was like I'll remember to browse this time but yeah it shot on me so you're like big on like various levels of the Chinese museum not just where you're performing yep and I had uh two sets of audience members come to see the show just because we had the same surname. They didn't know oh, who I was. They, um, you know, I don't even know if they like comedy. They were just like, yeah. oh, we're so happy that someone, another Louis out there doing it. So then I thought this year I'm actually going to offer like free tickets to any Louis because it's not that that's common. Yeah. 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 But that's and a marketing can, strategy for another year. the exhibition as well. 
yeah, I'll tell them that. Make sure you be extra cheap. <laughs> you just browse everything. Can I just say, this might be a reflection of how much of a dork I am and also like what a nerd I was as a child, but I flippin' loved the Chinese museum when uh, I was a kid. I remember being like, these dioramas are sick. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're oh, like they're squeaky. They're squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were so hokey, funny. sure, but it, they, oh yeah. God, they're so peach. Annie, Annie I just loved it. I love a diorama. Annie went to a prestigious school. She can tell <laughs> me. <that. laughs> <laughs> like a good and a shit diorama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we were talking about um, Asian representation in media before and um, when I was asking you about um, being on the podcast, you brought up the fact that um, you were going to catch up on the all-Asian episode of mm. MasterChef. Did you end up watching yes. that? Yeah, I watched half of it, made it uh, to the, the end of the first round of immunity. And They're long episodes, aren't they? They are long and I couldn't watch it on double speed. Uh, <laughs> Ten play doesn't let you do that. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's interesting because so many people are praising it and I agree it's awesome. At the same time, they had to work for it and it was by chance. And I'm thinking, yeah, why couldn't they do it deliberately? Um, because they do have a lot of power. These are the media agencies that run Australia. So why not have more of that or an all-Asian TV show? Still hasn't happened. Yeah, and uh, but I think it well, was. It's a not great... written by Benjamin Law. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's the, the problem. I can think of. Um, yeah, they had to cook instant noodles as the first uh, ingredient. Yeah. Yes, in the first round, and then after that, it was comfort food. And my best friend's mom was saying like she was crying over it because they were cooking a dish from her uh, childhood with it. She used to cook with her grandma, uh, back in Malaysia. So yeah, it was very emotional for people and mm. yeah, food is so entrenched in culture. So I can see why people are getting very, um, yeah, emotional about yeah. it. And I think, yeah, I suppose it's still a stereotype perhaps that we are good at cooking. So I'm looking forward to when this can reach other areas of TV as well, you know, having Absolutely. more mainstream Absolutely. talents. Because it is, um, you know, that episode is, it's about cooking and it is connected to culture and Benjamin Law's fantastic series um, was as well. And we do have um, so many uh, series by um, Asian uh, creators, comedians, etc. that centre around culture. But I think that it'll be a really important moment when um, people can break out of that and be in a show uh, as an actor that is not defined by their culture. They're not there because we needed someone to be a Chinese person mm -hmm. in the show, et cetera. Mm. Um, I think that that is, yeah, hopefully, hopefully yeah. coming. Yeah. But, mm. um, and instead of, yeah, dancing no. around in the outer circles of the characters that they're trying to create, really being at the centre of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of that. And Diana Newen, my friend, who was featured yeah. in the book that changed my childhood growing up, growing up Asian in Australia, that was massive mm -hmm. to even read about stories um, that reflected who you were and different, different, yeah, people that I recognise. Like, oh, there's like an old old Chinese man at the first story and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this this resonates with me. It could be one of my relatives who has dementia or something like that. And uh, Diana's story I think was about being kicked out of 
home or something to do with her boyfriend and sex life. So yeah, it's something that's not discussed. So yeah, that was massive uh, reading that when I was a kid and her web series, um, Fee and Me, Mm. I went to the premiere and it was on the big screen at Nova, but it's not shown anywhere in cinemas. It's a web series. So you have to access it online and it's so laugh out loud funny. And I'm like, oh, we need, we need more of this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Farewell with Aquafina. Oh, broke my heart. I yeah. I it so much. It yeah. Great. I've never laughed so hard at the cinemas before because I felt mm. like I was really sitting between two worlds of being able to laugh at all the jokes that related mm. to Western culture, but then having that extra layer of understanding what they were saying in Chinese. It can't be translated in English and it's just so, so funny. And I was just cacking myself going, wow, I'm really lucky to be able to flip between these two worlds and see humour in both sides. So I was like, this has never happened before. I had some kind of epiphany. (laughs) And yeah, I wish we could see more of it. Yeah. And I've I've heard... That film was amazing. Yeah, I've heard... No, I was just going to say I've heard the director... um, speaking about how difficult it was to get made and that it almost didn't. And it's such mm. a shame to think about all the projects that aren't getting made. You mm. know? She yeah. said it was also it was so successful and mm. so so yeah. well written. It's yeah. kind of crazy. It's like, how do you have to push for this? And it's so interesting. I think it just highlights the fact that people, uh, creatives, aren't often trusted to make the right decision. You know, she was saying... Uh, on one hand, people were saying, oh, it's too too much of an Asian story. And um, on the other hand, they were saying, oh, it's too much of an American story. So it was kind of like um, her having to push for her idea to get through and so lucky that it has, especially because mm. you've been talking about stand-up. Of course, if you're trying to get into stand-up and there's no one like you around... It's kind of like, oh, well, this space isn't for me, kind of mm. thing. You know, like it's established as, you know, a white guy thing. Um, well, yeah. that's what you're saying. You had two boundaries you had to overcome, like one, being Chinese, and two, being a woman. Like that's insane. That's that's too much to, insane. you know. There you be, Chinese woman. But like, you know, it's, it's insane to think that there are so many things that are already – you know, in your mind, potentially holding you back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. And I I thought it was the quality of my jokes, perhaps. And I wish Mm -hmm. somebody had told me, you know, there's other factors at play why you might not feel comfortable instead of being like, ah, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm shit. My jokes are shit. It's like, actually, the environment was created for you probably not to succeed at a dingy pub with just drunk men. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact is that everyone who's starting out, generally when people are starting out in comedy, some people are quite talented and get off the ground, but generally you're not really good at it and it takes quite a Mm. while. But if if you're sort of having those struggles of like, okay, I'm trying to get better, I'm trying to write better jokes, but also I'm not fitting in, there's just creates that extra barrier. And some people are, um, you know, since they're born, made to feel as though they fit into any space and mm. that they belong in any space and that, you know, stuff that you do is good. Yeah, and I still struggle with being 
trying to be both intelligent and a comedian because I think I've been (laughs) told that, you know, like those things are mutually exclusive. So I had to, because some people are like, oh, no one likes a smart woman. But I'm like, oh, I don't know how else to be. Um, And that maybe I can't be funny because I, you know, I know too much or I'm always (laughs) thinking. But like, (laughs) why did you go to McRob? Yeah. Have you gotten better at that because it does you know to be witty you do need to be smart so they do go hand in hand and yeah to think on your feet and improv Mm. yeah have your parents did your parents see you perform live or just online yeah they came to the grand final for class clowns that's probably when my whole family came like my uncle and aunt and cousin and they've never come again (laughs) 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 well yeah I think they they also were struggling to kind of understand it but um since then I've taken my mum to more gigs so that she can understand that this is a real job and how I'm not just making stuff up about how cool some of these gigs are like yeah I took her along to um good as friday at the town hall and mm. she was videoing cool. and all that even though you know they they often be like oh why the hell are you doing this it's got no money to it but then you see the other things the subtext like yeah. you know they're calling their friends they're telling them all about your successes or you know That's bragging so and my mom never wants to get involved in any interviews or um any of my performances like I took her I was like come with me to my high school awards night at they asked me to come back and do a speech like come along would you and then would you also I would like to thank you at the end for supporting and you know I want to bring you up on stage she was like no 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 I don't want to like absolutely not and then yeah I talked her into it and then when she got on stage she was loving it and started waving to the audience like she was the queen and I didn't tell her to do that but yeah I think she is proud and that's how I know, but they won't, they won't tell it to your face. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every time I go back, it's still, why did you quit your job? Really? Um, you know, so stable working in government, but now I've chosen this and I've, I'm trying to convince her. If I tell her that it's a business, I think she understands it a lot oh. more because it does run itself, you know, as I've a business. Been, I've been saying that too, because you can equate it to starting a small business, you know, yes. you're trying to build your audience that is your customers and trying to get, you know, paid from it and sell more, et cetera. But people don't um, align it with a business. People can understand what running a cafe or a restaurant, et cetera, is and starting Mm. that up. But because... Yeah, like where are your goods? Where are your wares? It's like, no, it's in here. I'm my goods (laughs) in my head. (laughs) It's like when people will, people will, if you know someone who owns a restaurant or a cafe, it's rare that someone is going to ask you for a free meal. I know that person. Yeah. I'm coming to your cafe. Uh, can I have this meal for free? But people will <laughs> often ask performers for free tickets to their show. Absolutely. And they don't equate that with the same cost and work yes. associated. Yeah. But this it, happened to me recently as well, mm. like being asked to volunteer to do stuff because everyone's a volunteer in this, you know, organisation. And I'm yep. like, yeah, but um, you also are doctors and surgeons and – <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I'm not asking you to perform brain surgery for free. <laughs> oh, so you were asked to perform, right? 
along those lines, uh, help them with something, yes, but it, in, within my creative realm. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting too, isn't it? When there are these sort of larger organisations and it's happened a lot to people. I've heard many stories and it's sort of like, well, there's no pay involved, but it's like, you know, I don't know exposure or something exposure like, always with the you put, but it's a dirty e word yeah you know <laughs> you you performing a lot of times you're performing to an audience that's not not necessarily a comedy audience they don't they'll watch this show and they're not going to be like oh who's that person i'm going to go and see them throughout the year go to their comedy yep. show well i mean it is interesting when you take your jokes you know we swear and talk about all kinds of things you know in random pubs or whatever but taking those to um then nice venues i remember we both did that gig at comedy festival last year mm, at, at the, the forum. forum yeah that was 2 days after i got dumped uh, which was oh, happened during that. comedy festival, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was proud of myself for just dragging myself up there and oh. not actually changing one of my jokes because I didn't know how. I'm like, oh well, I refer to my boyfriend. I'll just pretend <laughs> like I don't know how to cope right now. So <laughs> like, just just do it as it was written. Yeah, I do remember that you got dumped like just before comedy festival, the night before or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, comedy festival had already started and it was uh, preview night, preview night, then opening night. So opening yeah. night was when it happened. And then, oh. yeah, that, that show um, went on. Yeah. And so that's what so me, me and uh, Sonia are Italian, which means we're obviously connected. So just send us an address. <laughs> and we'll get that all that's disgusting. That, Don't worry. Oh, uh, that that's me. has inspired the, the next show. So I'm going to be performing it online oh, in three weeks. Yeah. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. But Amazing. anyway, we were, we were at the forum and... <laughs> you, you were doing yeah, di- doing dirty jokes in fancy venues. Say, like such a beautiful venue, you know what I mean? Uh, but it yes. is kind of like, I, I think that, you know, y- y- yeah, seeing you do those gigs um, is great and it's hard, like we've been saying, it's hard for your mum to understand what it's like as a performer and how can this be a business, etc. But when they do see you do something like that or even just hear, you know, I'm going to perform to 700 people. And that was just like an afternoon gig, like before our show. Um, It is great. We do get to do some cool stuff as well. Mm. And we'll hopefully be doing more of those gigs soon. But I think it's going to be some time before we can perform in front of 700. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but well, I mean, if you bring 350 and I bring 350, let's do a Zoom gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine that. We'll just, um, like, invite our families. So it's, like, half Chinese, yeah, half Italian audience. Totally. <laughs> if they're allowed to access, I don't know, you know, I don't even know if my family in China can watch what I'm putting on, oh, depending oh, on the platform. Sure. Yeah. It's, You're it's censored. <laughs> can I ask you a question about uh, potentially censoring some of the stuff you say in front of your folks? Um, because I found since doing this this pod with Sonia, um, my mum has listened to a couple of random episodes um, mm. and has kind of... <laughs> Or I've said in passing potentially things that we've discussed and it's been like, oh, no, why would you do that? Or, you know, like that's family secrets. Don't talk like that. Um, has Have you have you had to like change jokes or potentially leave things out of your gigs because you're afraid of what your mum would say or think, um, um, especially if you're talking about culture? Yeah, sometimes I bank on her not understanding it fully, so I'll just do it. 
Uh, but she did come to my last show where I showed all these photographs that my dad had taken from when he migrated to Australia. They're awesome black and white photos. And then I talked about how much we discovered the skeletons in the closet after he passed away. And she hates that I do that material because they're so oh, no. private and they don't like anyone to know about this. But so many people yeah. came up to me afterwards or messaged me saying like, oh, same thing happened with my family. And it was so nice to connect with those people and be like, oh, actually, it's quite normal. Everyone has all these skeletons yeah. and some of them are quite funny. So even though she doesn't want me to reveal anything, she also doesn't want me to do a heap of different stuff. So I just <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, you know. <laughs> like, oh. I wouldn't be here if I'd taken her advice on, yeah anything really and I like to rebel so if if she my parents ever told me not to do anything I went hard and did it anyway yeah like uh piano lessons Chinese school yeah they were like we forbid you from the violin I'm like no I must (laughs) (laughs) it compels me (laughs) okay (laughs) oh okay well thanks so much for joining us Annie it's been awesome thank you so where can people find you online you can find me at my website, AnnieLouis.com. I'm on Facebook at Annie Louie Comedy and Instagram, Annie Louie. So my show is also streaming online for $15. So you can watch what I recorded, Annie Louie's Big Break, which was meant to be at the comedy festival and then got cancelled. But now you can see it on the web permanently forever. Give me your money. Cool. <laughs> and that, that will be on your website? Yep. Awesome. It is there. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. And thanks for um, sharing all these personal stories. It's been awesome. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening thanks to us, mouth. listeners. Mm. No worries. Uh, you can find Thank us you. on Patreon if you would like to support us. A little bit of um, donation goes a long way to help us bring you more great episodes. We're on Patreon. Who the bloody hell are we? And you can find us on Facebook. Uh, for more great content. Yay. Ciao, Bella. Thanks for listening to Who the Bloody Hell Are We? If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Audio production and original music is by Andre Christodoulou. Search for us on Facebook for more information about our guests, fun content and to keep the conversation going. Mm.